Chapter 14, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus, and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Reincarnation is an awful doctrine. It's an awful subject to believe in, because it teaches in essence that we all come back after death, time after time after time. And you can't get off that awful conveyor belt, really. You go round and round and round. And yet, if you look at the world today, if you read some of the publications that I've seen, if you go on to YouTube and look up some of the videos that have been posted by men and women in the East, you will see that many of these people are coming to Christ. They are forsakening these paganistic, superstitious beliefs. They are turning from the false belief of reincarnation and embracing resurrection. And here Herod, as a pagan, didn't know what the resurrection was about, but he held to the farcical belief of reincarnation. 3. For Herod had laid hold on John, and bound him, and put him in prison for Herodias' sake, his brother Philip's wife, incest and adultery. For John said unto him, It is not lawful for thee to have her. John is a Jew, and here he is rebuking A, somebody in authority, and B, a non-Jew. We can use the Jewish law and apply it and aim it and present it to anybody that we need to. The law was given to the Jews. The entire Old Testament was presented to Israel, but nonetheless that could still and has been and will continue to be our measuring stick as it were, to know right from wrong. So like I've already said, I am a semi-dispensationalist. I don't take the route that most of the Bible is only for the people of Israel and only a section, i.e. the epistles are directly for the church. I don't believe that. John, as I say, was a Jew, and here he is approaching a Gentile and rebuking this Gentile king in authority for committing incest and adultery with his sister-in-law. If John can do it, and he did, I don't see why we can't do the same also, providing we do it with humility and meekness. 5. And when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude, because they counted him as a prophet. Once again, the common people, the man and woman in the street, knew who the messengers of God were. They knew that Christ was sent from God and they knew that John was sent from God. But tragically and once again the religious elite quote-unquote right back to the second chapter don't know the wheat from the tares, the true messengers 
to the fake messengers. They are lost in tradition, they are lost in organized religion, and they have this spiritual blindness. Nothing new under the sun. Six, but when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Lasciviousness with a capital L, a erotic dance, an inappropriate dance, and that is all I will say on that, but obviously he was a man of the flesh, much like King Henry VIII, and here he is having his flesh fed. Let me put it that way. 7. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head in a charger. First name, second name, no break. That's how we do things today. You get a person's Christian name and their surname. Now John's surname wasn't Baptist, that's what he did, he was a baptizer. But the way that the AV translates that from Greek into English is how we still do things today. Like I say, first name and second name, no break. 400 years ago this was translated and it still has a right up to date current feeling even in the 21st century. God inspired the book and he preserved the book. And I had a conversation just two days ago with a Muslim girl who didn't believe that and yet after 15 or 20 minutes of me witnessing to her she had to agree with me through gritted teeth that God is all-powerful and if he wanted to he could inspire and preserve his word. She had to accept that. And she also had a problem with God becoming a man. And I said, so can God not do what we can do? If we can produce children, why can't he? If he wanted to become a bird, could he not? If he wanted to become a lion or a tiger, could he not? If he's all-powerful, and we believe that he is, and she nodded her head in agreement with me, then he could become a man if he chose to. And by that stage she knew that I had her in a corner. But anyway, that's another story for another day. But here, the daughter-in-law has approached her mother and they have conspired to put John to death because he's rebuked Herod publicly from verse 4 for marrying his brother's sister. And that was something which the daughter didn't like and it's something that the mother must have loathed. This public preaching in the street and this public shame being preached on every day. Hence why these two are going to conspire to put this prophet, this man who was the most important person up until this part of God's timetable, the most important person that had ever lived. What an amazing statement to make. Charger, guillotine, blade, beheading. We saw that from the previous chapter. And of course, in the tribulation, the guillotine will be re-implemented to put to death anybody that opposes the Antichrist, which is what Herod was. Herod was an Antichrist. As I've said also, there are two kings, there are two types of leaders in the Bible. There's the godly line, which feeds into the king of kings, and there's the ungodly line, 
which feeds into the Antichrist, i.e. the devil himself. The Antichrist isn't Satan per se, but the devil is behind the Antichrist. The devil will possess the Antichrist and he will become a personification of Lucifer. 9. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison, and his head was brought in a charger and given to the damsel, and she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took up the body and buried it and went and told Jesus. John was Jesus' cousin, and of course Christ, as God knew this was going to happen before it occurred, nonetheless, as the Son of Man, he is waiting for John's disciples to approach him to tell him. Same kind of picture, really, from the book of Genesis, when Adam falls, God knew that Adam would fall before he fell, and yet God waits for Adam to come to him and confess what he had done. When Adam didn't come to God, God went to Adam. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Sheba went to Solomon. She travelled many miles to meet one of the most prestigious kings in Old Testament history. And yet here God comes to earth looking for man. God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. Be ye reconciled unto him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 13. When Jesus heard of it, he departed thence by ship into a desert place apart. And when the people had heard thereof, they followed him on foot out of the cities. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and healed their sick his cousin has just died and yet he's healing sick people to those of us that are evangelists that are bible believers we are never off duty we should take tracks with us when we go out we should be prepared and willing to give a defense of the faith that lies within us we should be ready in season and out of season to share the gospel but we are weak the flesh is willing but the spirit is weak that is the truth of the matter paul knew this only too well but here the messiah has come to serve the people of israel not to be served Humility with a capital H, love with a capital L. We are to follow the Lord, we are to be like he was, but we can only do that when we yield to the Holy Spirit. And that isn't an easy thing to do, that falls under discipleship, that falls under daily sanctification. And that's why it is paramount that we don't love the things of the world, which I've already said. We can appreciate the things of the world, but we don't love the things of the world. If something becomes an idol to you, deal with it. If you are hooked on anything, if you have a problem that is reoccurring in your life, deal with it. If you need to, get rid of your television. 
if you need to get rid of your laptop or your iPhone or your iPad whatever it is that you are battling against if it keeps reoccurring on a regular basis deal with it and once you deal with it you will increase your walk you will become more victorious people around you will see that you are maturing and they will want to be like you that doesn't give you a big ego that shouldn't allow you to have a big ego you shouldn't want people to look up to you in that manner you should be humble and you should say that I am able to do all things through Christ who strengthens me I am able to do A, B and C because he first loved me before I loved him and now that I am saved by grace through faith a free gift now that I am saved I am able to do all things because he has given me the ability to do all things therefore I cannot boast in and of myself all the glory goes back to Christ Jesus 15 and when it was evening his disciples came to him saying this is a desert place and the time is now past send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals this is very interesting because it shows me once again that the apostles are still babes in Christ they are still growing and even up until the 28th chapter where it says some still didn't quite believe they hadn't grasped the enormity of the resurrection here they don't realize that a miracle is about to occur and Matthew is honest and he pens that in his gospel and that shows me once again that the Bible is divine in origin not human because no human writer would put these sort of verses into his book and present it to a pretty hostile a pretty pagan a pretty carnal depraved world if they were wanting to have people buy into their religion but it's been put into this part of the New Testament because it's true it shows that even the apostles still doubted were carnal were weak were babes and that gives us hope if they stumbled if they failed to grasp some of the simplicity some of the basic areas of the Lord's ministry and they did then we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves when we also fall into the same problems 16 but Jesus said unto them they need not depart give ye them to eat and they say unto him we have here but five loaves and two fishes he said bring them hither to me and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass and took the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven he blessed and brake and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude the gospel goes to the apostles the apostles take it to the world that's the spiritual food here physical food the apostles have the physical food and they give it to the people that is a picture of Bible believers being 
with a small m, mediators, as it were, or messengers between God and man. Once we get the gospel out to people, they become born again like we are. They also have the same responsibility as we do to be mediators, with a small m, between God and man. Christ is our saviour. He is our older brother. We live because he lives. Without him, we can do nothing. But nonetheless, we are evangelists. We are messengers. He commissioned the apostles, and vicariously, he has commissioned us. We don't have the same gifts or the same callings that they had. They wrote the New Testament. We read the New Testament, and we teach the New Testament to new Christians. Same calling, but different gifts, different responsibilities, different experiences. But here, the apostles are the mediators, the go-betweens. Most of the time, the Lord spoke to the people directly and bypassed them. But on this occasion, he's going to work through the apostles. He is the bread which came down from heaven. Moses gave the Jews literal bread. Whereas Christ said in John 6 that he was the bread and you would eat of him and drink his blood. Not his literal body, not his literal blood. That would make you a cannibal and if you did that you would be put to death. But you were to receive him, you were to feed on him through his word. And of course through his communion, if you break bread weekly, that is spiritual food. But that doesn't save you. You are saved by believing on him. And then you feast on the word of God, the Bible. But here we are looking at physical food. 20. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up of the fragments that remained 12 baskets full. And they that had eaten were about 5,000 men beside women and children. 20,000 quite possibly witnessed this and were fed. Nobody else pre-Christ or post-Christ has ever done this. Thousands came to hear him, to get spiritual food, and they went away with physical food as well. This is one of the main miracles in the Word of God. 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. Three hours the apostles have been on this boat, tossed around, no doubt by the devil, they were terrified. They were waiting for the Lord to arrive to once again rescue them. Man has to see his sin in order to be saved. But here the Lord is wanting the apostles to see that he is God in the flesh. And this leads up to the transfiguration as well. As we've seen from the 13th chapter, many prophets have wanted to see what you see and didn't see. And here they will see the Son of God walking on the water to deal with this storm. 
26 And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried for fear. That's understandable. The waves could have been pretty high. It was windy. They were clinging on for dear life, like Jonah, to some extent. And therefore, they could see this figure coming to them. And in that particular moment, they thought it was a spirit of some kind. And again, this is honesty. This is Matthew telling you what happened. He's not sugarcoating it. He's giving it to you like it actually was. 27. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Peter had great faith. Peter, I believe, and I know I've already said this, but I do believe that he was quite possibly the oldest of the apostles, hence why he is singled out many times. But he's also the weakest of the apostles, hence why he gets a lot of these special briefings. And here he will, for a short period of time anyway, walk on the water. And there isn't a pope anywhere in the world that has ever walked on the water. They claim to be successors of Peter, and yet not one of them could walk on the water, has ever walked on the water, or will ever be able to walk on the water. 29. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. That took faith, that took courage. He knew that the Lord was there to sustain him, and yet he climbed out of the ship to be with the Lord. That's trust, that is commitment, that's love. And sometimes we look at these scriptures and we don't really understand its deeper meaning. But for me, as I say, Peter was the oldest and yet many times was the weakest. And here the Lord is going to spend more time with his older or oldest apostle and yet his weakest apostle. And he will be rewarded for that. 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Completely normal. And again, it shows us that even the greatest, and Peter was a great preacher. Peter preached at the day of Pentecost. The keys were given to Peter and vicariously all of the apostles. And yet even Peter, who wrote two epistles, who pretty much dominates the first ten chapters of Acts of the Apostles, even Peter is going to have a panic attack. He's going to start to sink. And again, that gives us hope. That gives us confidence that if the greatest can and did struggle, then when we do likewise, we know that there are people that went before us who also had the same battles and yet they persevered and God restored them and off they went. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of second chances. 31. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? A very slight rebuke. And you could easily apply this spiritually to an unsafe sinner who cries out to the Lord to be saved. And immediately the Lord saves him from hell. But here 
he's saving Peter from drowning. And here, Peter is about to drown. And the Lord stretches forth his hand and catches him. One hand, not two hands. And a quick footnote, John's Gospel, chapter 10, tells us that the Father has us in his hand and the Son has us in his hand. Double security. Amen and Amen. 32. And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. And he accepts that. He happily receives their worship. You call me Lord and Master, and so I am. My Lord and my God. That's what Thomas said. Paul, Romans 9, said that he was the eternal God, blessed above everything. All of the apostles tell us that Christ was the one true God, the second member of the Godhead, the Son of God, and they worshipped him. Had he not been deity, this would have been sacrilege, this would have been blasphemy, and this would have given the Jewish leaders ammunition to put him to death. That's why they killed him. They killed Christ because they thought he was a blasphemer, putting himself on equality with God, elevating himself to the same level as God, receiving worship which was only owed to God. And of course they put him to death because they feared him. They were thinking of themselves, their little kingdoms, their stipends, and they thought if more people came and believed on Christ, nobody would go to the temple, nobody would come to us, we'd all be out of a job, and the whole system would collapse. That's not what he came for. He came to fulfill the law, not to destroy the law. But here, the apostles are seeing, once again, his deity. This is a lead up to the transfiguration. The devil tries to sink the ship, tries to destroy the ship with the apostles on board because they are going to write the New Testament and they are going to turn the world upside down. 10 BC, there isn't a saved Christian anywhere in the world. 10 AD, there are around 1 million saved Christians in the world. Hence why the devil wants to thwart it, but through the devil's attempt to sink the messengers of the Lord, God once again uses the devil, but uses it for his own purpose. And God the Son here, from 33, gets all the glory and worship. 34. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all the country round about, and brought unto him all that were diseased, and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. A prophet is never recognized in his own town, in his own country. How true. Capernaum didn't receive the Messiah, didn't want to be healed, hence they were full in the judgment. But here he's arrived in another town, in another city, and they come out 
they come out to be healed they have faith to bring their sick to be healed and once again he is going to heal he is going to take their sicknesses and put them onto him Isaiah 53 54 and 55 scripture with scripture and we get the entire picture of the Lord's ministry